We are looking at the truth about Christmas. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 1. We're going to look at the prologue this morning. Laura has read the first five verses of the Gospel of John for us. I'm going to read a little bit more now. From John 1. We had some Jehovah's Witnesses who came by this week and uh, left us some information about the truth about Christmas. And in their literature, they have some things like, you know, we don't know when Jesus was born, which is true, and some other things that they were saying about Christmas. And uh, they don't celebrate Christmas. It's a tenet of their faith. What I want you to think about when it comes to the truth about Christmas is not the precise day when Jesus was born. We know he was born. We've set aside a time to recognize that. It is this time of year. And it is a very important thing to do. And the truth about Christmas can be buried in many things, including irrelevant conversations that don't really get to the point. So now I'm going to read for you the point. Verse 6, John 1, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. This is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. Okay, he's the one writing. This is John the Baptist. This John came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word. Now that comes from those first verses that Laura read to us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John the Baptist was older than Jesus, yet he says Jesus was before him. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law 
was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now, I've been thinking and praying all week that I could take this passage and help you understand the truth about Christmas. There are some ways in which it's a difficult passage. And the word, which is the subject of the first paragraph, and then coming back to it in verse 14, is an unusual usage of the term in the New Testament. And it really doesn't show up except here in the prologue, the way John casts it. But I want to talk to you about the passage. It's how John introduces his gospel. He wants us to get it. And I want us to get it. The first truth about the passage has to do with the identity of the word. John works on that first. He says, in the beginning was the word. So, John is saying to us, before time, there was the word. And when he says, in the beginning, we know he's reflecting back to the first words of the Bible. In the beginning is how the whole book starts. God created the heavens and the earth. So John is thinking about the Word, Jesus of Nazareth, and he's saying, before time was, the Word was. He is more fundamental than time itself. The Word was with God. He was in the company of God. And the Word was God. This is one of the key passages that teaches the deity of Christ, the second person of the Trinity. There are lots of people who want to do something else with the deity of Christ, the uniqueness of Christ. But John makes it very clear, starting out with his gospel, that this is his position, this is what he believes, he believes this to be true. In the beginning, that the Word is more fundamental than time, that the Word is God, and all things were created through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So John, in identifying the Word, says He is more fundamental than time, and He precedes all of creation. John says, in him was life. What's more basic than life? John sees in the word the fountain of life. And that life is the light of men. So there are four 
fundamentals, sometimes we think of them as building blocks of this universe that are preceded by the word, time, creation, life, and light. This life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness. And the darkness could not get its arms around it. Could not overcome it. Could not comprehend it. Could not apprehend it. And that's the nature of the word. Not only can the darkness not get its arms around the light, but we can't really comprehend all that the word is. So there's a call to faith at the very beginning. Myself, I believe that John wrote these 18 verses that introduce his gospel after he'd sketched out everything else. I mean, this is the fella who was a young man when Jesus came by the Sea of Galilee and said, follow me. He's one of the guys that dropped his bed and followed Jesus. That's who's writing this book. He was there when Jesus changed the water into wine and he records it as the first miracle of Jesus. I know his eyes were wide open. He was there when Jesus spoke to the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda and the man after years and years of laying by that pool stood up and walked out of there. John watched that and he mentions it in his book. He was one of the guys who carried the baskets up and down the rows of people, 5,000 of them on the hillside there near the Sea of Galilee and everybody ate and 12 baskets of food were left over from a small boy's lunch. John records that. And he says, Jesus is the bread of life. John was there when that blind man, he'd been blind since birth, was healed and began to see. People were astonished. It goes on the account of the healing of that blind man, John, out of all the material he could have included. He put that in his gospel. In fact, he records these seven mighty signs and builds the whole book around them. And after recording that Jesus healed that blind man, he says, Jesus is the light of the world. John records how Jesus walked on water. He was in the boat when it happened. John was standing near the Mount of Olives in the little town of Bethany when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead came out of the grave bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And Jesus said, and John records, loose him and let him go. John watched it all. He records it in his book. It's chapter 11. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And John, like all the other gospel writers, records the resurrection of Jesus and the appearances afterward and concludes his book with four chapters about those last days and hours of the life of Jesus here on earth. 
And when he gets done thinking it through, writing his stories, contemplating his miracles, recording the discourses and teachings of Jesus that are in these chapters, he wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. I don't know how long it took for the truth to dawn on John. You and I have never lived and breathed and walked and listened to and touched anybody in all our years on the planet that we would say was God. The very notion of getting there, that somebody in your experience, in your history, in your relationships could be God. Why, the very notion is preposterous. And every flag that goes up in your mind about the Word being God and the Word becoming flesh and Jesus of Nazareth as fully God and fully man. Every flag that goes up in your mind about says, wait a minute, wait a minute. It went up with John. What kind of experience does it take for a man who knows another man to conclude that his friend is God in the flesh. Whatever it took, it happened to John. And not just to him. It happened to his brother James. He's one of the guys that dropped those nets. James was the first martyr of the church. It happened to Peter. Oh, boisterous, opinionated Peter. Who finally saw Christ as the living Lord who reigns over heaven and earth. And all the rest of the book of John is written to help you get in the same place that John was after he experienced the presence and power of Jesus of Nazareth. He says, that which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have looked upon, and our hands have touched, this was the word of life. And this is the one we proclaim to you. And all these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believing you might have life in his name. John wrote the whole book so that you would believe the prologue. He hopes the first 18 verses capture you because he wants to pull you in on a journey that he personally experienced. He wants you to walk with him and watch with him and hear what happened. 
day by day in the companionship of Jesus of Nazareth in order that you too would believe on him as Savior and Lord. John has no question about the identity of Jesus. And I am proclaiming to you the truth which people have believed for all these years, that Jesus is the Word made flesh, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. There are lots of truths about Christmas we can all agree on. People ought to be kind to one another. They ought to help the poor. They ought to do good deeds. They ought to enjoy their family. And so when you talk about the meaning of Christmas, maybe that's where your mind goes. And you're not trying to say, now, Jesus had to be born on December 25th. You know what I'm saying? That's not what Christmas really means to you. It's something else. And sometimes we boil it down to all the good things and the kind thoughts and the gentle notions that people have in their high mind and heart. And we say, that's what Christmas is about. But no, it's not about that. In part it may be, but the central truth of Christmas is this. God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And there is only salvation in Him. John will later say there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Why do we call him Jesus? Because his name means God saves. Name the child Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. I don't know what doubts come to your mind. What hesitations hold you back? When you hear somebody say that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, maybe you are prompted to set it into the great panorama of human religion and say, well, it's just a human religion. I mean, there's Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Taoism, Islam, Christianity. Pick one. What I'm saying to you is, Scrap religion, don't even think about it. Prior to all that, before all that, back behind all the fundamentals of the universe, there is the Word made flesh. The identity of Jesus, then, is the beginning and end of the Gospel of John. The identity of Jesus is the reason for which they killed him. The Jews wanted him dead because he said he was the Son of God, making himself equal with God. It's what he said. It's what he thought. It's why he died on the cross as far as the Jews were concerned. The Romans decided to kill him for his identity. Why? He claimed to be a king, only Caesar's king. So the little sign on the cross said, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. That's why he's hanging up here, Caesar's king. He's an insurrectionist. He wanted to overthrow the Romans. That's why he's hanging there. Now, the real truth, Jesus died on the cross because he claimed to be the Son of God. You can relativize everything about Jesus if you want to and incorporate it into all the human thinking. 
I'm talking today about revelation, about God saying something to the planet beyond what people speak or think. And the incarnation is one of those things that just doesn't occur to you. When was the last time you went fishing with somebody and got out of the boat and thought, I'll bet that fellow was God. That ever occur to you? Might jump up in your mind a lot. Maybe that was God. No, that's an absurdity. Well, where did the notion come from? It came all through the history of Revelation, through the nation of Israel, and the priesthood, and the sacrificial system, and the words of the prophets, all preparing for God's climactic moment when he himself would speak his finest, clearest, loudest word to man. And it all climaxes in the incarnation of God in Christ. God's climactic word. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about the creator God speaking to people on the planet historically and then being robed in flesh. Now, that's his identity. The delivery of the Son of God comes into the world and into flesh. He is delivered to us as world and flesh. It's hard to tell somebody something. You know that's so. Sometimes you say, words just aren't enough. I just can't put it into words. Why is that? There's over 300,000 words in the English language. You know how many words are in the Greek New Testament? 5,600. Hebrew Bible, a little over 8,000 words. We have 300,000 words now and still words fail us. They have their limits. So God sent the prophets and he inspired the text of scripture. But all of that is not enough to say to humans what also must be heard non-verbally and seen and communicated in relationships and the nuances of life. And so in the climactic moment of his revelation, he becomes man and lives among us. The highest and clearest and finest word of who he is. Enfleshed. Scripture says he came into the world. The world was made by him. God came into human society and community. He lived as a man among men. This is the truth of Christmas. This is what Christmas is about. God did this. This is a world that's full of trouble. And heartache. We just heard from Larry about the young men that die in this city. Day after day, we read about it. It's a world that's messed up. God came into this world. He lived on this planet. He became part of a family of peasants. Born somewhere around 2,000 years ago. In a field near Bethlehem. I have stood in that rocky field a barren place where the sheep eat little strands of grass between the big boulders 
and you think that God would do this. It's unimaginable. It's not something people think about. This is God initiating his contact with us through Jesus. He came into the world and he came in the flesh. The flesh is tough. It gets scratched, gets cut. It gets old. It dries out. It has needs. All kind of needs, continual needs, this flesh. God became flesh. The Word became flesh, John writes, and lived among us. This is God's chosen way to deliver his message to people that he loves. Not just here, read this book. It is here. Here I am, anchored in time and space and human history. God became man in Jesus. That's what John, the fisherman, concludes, along with his brother James and his friends Peter and Andrew and a whole bunch of other people. You say, well, that's just mythology, you know? You know, we, we have a scrap of this gospel I've read to you. It's actually a parchment, piece of a parchment. It's about the size of a softball. It has on it two verses from chapter 18 of the Gospel of John. It was found in Egypt. And the scholars dated about 117. It's the earliest piece of manuscript we have of the New Testament. And it was already in Egypt by 117. You have good reason to carefully process the claims of this fisherman, John, that he came in contact with God robed in flesh. You ought to think about it. And it is likely that it is not simply intellectual objections that you entertain. There are probably some other objections to Jesus being God that may be even more significant in the thinking process you go through. When you think about this truth of Christmas, maybe down deep inside you object to the whole notion because you're God in your life and you want to remain so. That wouldn't be unusual. Adam and Eve ate the fruit thinking they were going to be gods. To confess that there's a God who loves you, you personally, and who made you, 
and who has visited the planet in Jesus of Nazareth and died on the cross for your sin. It dramatically changes your life orientation. You can't walk away from that moment of enlightenment and ever be the same. People hide behind intellectual skepticism as much as anything else because they have objections that are deeper than that. If there really is a God who really cares about us, then life's about Him. It's got to be. John's inviting you in to contemplate the mystery of a man that he encountered, he heard and saw and touched him. And it changed his life forever. And the discovery he made is reiterated three times in this passage. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Later on, he will say, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth, as if they never existed on the planet before. As if nobody had ever heard of them. As no, no human being had ever thought of them. Grace and truth was delivered on the planet through Jesus Christ. This is the great discovery that John the fisherman makes in studying and experiencing Jesus of Nazareth. He says grace and truth was delivered through him. Grace. Christmas is about grace. It's about God coming to a planet that doesn't deserve it. They won't even recognize him when he gets here. He made the world. The world didn't receive him. Go be born in the field. He came to his own people, the Jews, who were the people most readily prepared for his coming on all the planet, and they wouldn't receive him either. So what do you do? Enrobed in flesh, comes your own people and rejected. Whosoever will, as many as received him, whoever believes in his name, to those people he gives the power to become the children of God. That's grace. We all know about law. Law came through Moses. We understand law. We break our own laws. We don't live up to the expectations of our parents or ourselves. We understand guilt. We know about that. We know our failures. Do you know about grace? You know how life changes when you embrace grace? For Jesus to deliver grace to people like us, that is earth shaking. That's transformation. That's unimaginable. And this is what God did in Christ. He brought grace to us. You've got to get ready for grace. 
You got to get your mind prepared when John says he was full of grace. You got to get your mind prepared for that. You don't expect to find it. It's not us getting what we deserve. It is God delivering to us what we do not deserve. Why? Because he loves us. Why? I don't know. You say, oh, I've heard about grace. I know about that. I hear preachers talk about grace. Yeah, get your sins forgiven and all that. That'd feel really good. Remember one talking one time talking to an atheist in a little coffee shop. He'd acted out at church, accosted me in the hallway. So he wanted to take me out to eat. And so we went to eat together. And I told him a little bit about Jesus and his grace. He dropped his head and said, I really wish there was a Savior. You're going to be your you're going to be that way your whole life till you let Jesus in. You'll be sitting with your doubts and skepticism and unbelief and wishing you could embrace some love and joy and peace and forgiveness, but it won't come to you because it only comes through Him. And you'll be saying year after year, I really wish there was a Savior. I mean, it'd be nice if it all worked out that way. Why? Because you are created in the image of God. And you know you have fouled it up. All of us do. And when there's no grace, there's no way out of the guilt and the despair. Jesus didn't just bring grace. He is full of two things. Two things that sometimes we think don't belong in the same room. He is full of grace and truth. He's full of both of them. And some of us think they're antithetical. They're opposites. You know, grace is the treat, is the free ride that doesn't recognize what you've really done or who you really are. And truth, that's the miserable information about life. But Jesus was full of them both. And John the fisherman came to believe that in Jesus you not only get the grace of God, but you find out how things really are in this universe. This is the true configuration of all that has been made. The God who made it all, who stands behind it all, who is more fundamental than time or creation or life or light has robed himself in flesh to make his presence known. He's done so to rescue us from the despair of life and sin and death.
and deliver to us the life that cannot end. Eternal life through his son. The truth of Christmas always confronts us. It always challenges us. If the truth is really spoken and we really hear, we have to decide, okay, do I really believe in Christmas or not? Was Jesus full of grace and truth? Was he the word made flesh? On this matter, you will exercise faith. You say, well, I'm not sure. Well, God's planting some faith in you, sister. Let the faith grow. You need a little faith in your life. God delivers his gift of faith, and sometimes we pour water on it. And you think it's the end of doubt if you're a skeptic and you do not believe? You think all your doubts go away then? There is no certainty in the opposite position. God calls us to trust him in this matter. To look at the evidence which points from John and James and Peter and Andrew and Paul to a Christ of Calvary who died for our sin. And to say, I believe And I want to stand in this faith. Sometimes we come to him like that Roman centurion who was so honest with Jesus. Lord, I believe, he said, help thou my unbelief. I challenge you today. Take a turn. Trust the God who has given you breath and being. Trust that he loves you and he sent his son to rescue you. He has paid for all your sin by his death upon the cross and he invites you into life. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's bow together. This is the moment when God listens to every heart, every whispered prayer. A moment for you to say, yes, Lord, here I am. I'm trusting you. I'm committing my life to you. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again the third day. And I am ready to stand on the shoulders of John Peter and James and Paul and declare Jesus Lord would you make that prayer of confession trusting in Christ as Savior Lord let this be a moment of decision as your Holy Spirit works in us God don't let us embrace the skepticism that leaves us so empty Help us embrace the faith that brings life and light. In Jesus' name we pray.